0: On today's episode, gait retraining for performance, treatment, and prevention with Dr. Izzy Moore. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast. The podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers Okay. We start off with, um, I have a fair few researchers uh, planned for an interview over the next couple of weeks, and we're kicking it off with Dr. Izzy Moore. I have been a massive fan of Izzy for a very long time. I do delve into the research quite a lot, and her work often comes up, love what she publishes. Um, I love the work around gate retraining, which is why I decided to do an episode on it, For those runners who aren't familiar and don't have much of a a health professional background, uh, gait retraining is essentially just seeing ways that you could change your running technique and cues that you can use and little modifications in order to (coughs) shift load or change (coughs) angles, change forces, all that kind of stuff, and hopefully the end product of this episode is very practical for you, and I try and tailor every episode for the recreational runner because they're the main people who listen to this. I don't want this to turn into a physio podcast where it just goes straight over the head of a runner who doesn't have the who doesn't know the terminologies and the jargon. So hopefully, uh, this episode still applies to you um, if you aren't familiar with the term cadence. Uh, I recommend you go back to episode number six where we talk about cadence and understanding cadence and its importance. So uh, hopefully you have because over the last couple of weeks I have prompted people to go back to episode one and listen to the first 10 and then um, for bonus points probably go through the first 20 because they're very key universal principles. Uh, It's essential that you know the foundation stuff before we move forward into more detailed uh, episodes. So, yeah, if you haven't already, go back and start at episode one. But then when you get to episode six, <laughs> we're going to talk about cadence, and then this episode will make a lot more sense because we essentially dive into the research pretty quickly. And I try my best to redirect uh, a lot of the jargon to something a lot more practical that anyone, any runner, can understand. So, we talk about gate retraining and how you can manipulate your running how you can manipulate your technique in order to enhance things like performance and to help your recovery for particular injuries and we touch on prevention at the end and we covered so much today i'm really happy with how the end product came out and the value that we delivered so hopefully you enjoy and uh, without further ado here is izzy moore Dr Izzy Moore, I've been pumped to get you onto this podcast ever since we organised when we can have a time to chat. Uh, I have been following your work very closely and happy, well, I'm really pumped to dive into this content. So uh, let's start with thanks for coming onto the podcast.
1: Uh, Thanks. Thanks for inviting me, Brady. It's great to have the opportunity to talk about research.
0: Yeah, you're very welcome. Can we just start off with, uh, if people don't know much about you, talk about kind of what you do with your level of research and what you're working on at the moment?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, I'm Dr. Izzy Moore at Cardiff Metropolitan University. I'm currently a reader in human movement and sport medicine. Uh, I did my PhD at the University of Exeter looking at economical running, so essentially trying to find out what. How our running technique uh, may influence the amount of oxygen we consume, and kind of loosely how, therefore, how that makes us efficient uh, and then I kind of transitioned a little bit more into looking at how we can try and change our running style and focus on not just performance but also uh, rehabilitation or, or injury risk prevention. So I've transitioned into kind of gait retraining and looking at how we can, uh, instruct people to change their gait and what's the most effective way to do that. So that's been my more recent research has been in in that area. Um, um, we've got a one study we've, we've recently published looks at what's the best way to cue people to change their running style. Um, and we've got a follow up study that uh, I, I need to pull my finger out and write. Um, as well as you know, several other papers which have looked more kind of economical running which came off the back of my PhD.
0: Cool. and uh, I heard as well that your interest with gate retraining uh, came off the back of your own personal experiences dealing with some knee issues as well could you like to talk about that?
1: Yeah so um, I've ruptured uh, my anterior cruciate ligament in both my left and my right knee um Jace. <laughs> did the first one at age 14 the second one at age 18 um and i did them playing football um or soccer depending on which country you're from uh, i managed to get back playing football both times but then it was during my phd i had kind of a significant swelling um, flare-up, if if you will, of my oldest knee-operated knee, which was about um, uh, nearly 10 years old at that point. So I decided, to, uh, whilst I was running on the treadmill doing a pilot study for my PhD in the lab, there was a mirror in front of me. So I kind of was like, I should probably look at how I run, um, <laughs> considering that's what my PhD is on. <laughs> um, and I kind of yeah I had quite a lot of typical things I guess you could say a lot of um, torso lean forwards Um, so I was in quite large amounts of anterior pelvic tilt I had almost a kind of crossover gait and fairly straight leg when I was hitting the ground Um, so I wasn't too surprised that my knee wasn't particularly happy with me Um, so I went for a period of uh, I was actually doing a study on barefoot running and minimalist footwear at the time, so I actually just took my shoes off and let my body do what it wanted, and then put my shoes back on and kind of used a similar running form, and um, that that helped uh, me get back to to running. And then I kind of chose academia rather than playing playing a lot of football, um, but it has allowed me to keep keep running every now. And And then when I feel like it, so I do change up my gait a lot when I'm running to kind of offload my knees um, because they're clearly my weak spot in my body. So I'm used to kind of just going for a run and manipulating certain elements of it, depending on how my body feels that day.
0: Yeah, and I know from my experiences as well. If I've been through like similar things, it tends to retain, and you have a bit more interest moving forward and like reading about it and helping other people with that same situation as well. So have you found the same thing?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think there there are some um, biomechanists who who are very much no, you can't change gait. Uh, it's it's too hard to change how someone runs. It's so ingrained in them. Um, and I'm, uh, whereas I'm, you know, the opposite. I kind of do it every time I go for a run. Um, it does. It does take a lot of kind of uh, cognitive load to do. But I think over time and with practice, it becomes a lot easier. Um, and it's certainly something that I think is useful for runners to understand a bit about. And you know, so if they they are feeling you know, slightly fatigued or a bit of pain you can either try and run through it or you can maybe alter something about what you're doing to help kind of maybe lessen the load uh, for for your run. And uh, it's very hard to do research and this kind of thing, but I guess just intuitively from personal experience and uh, speaking to other coaches and clinicians, I think this is a a lot of what people advise anyway is having a few things in your toolkit when you're out running um, just to put put variation through your body in in terms of the loading patterns. Um, I I think that that's a nice way forward.
0: Yeah. I think we'll, we'll explore that a little bit more from what I know about the research at the moment, well from reading a couple of your papers and a couple of others is when someone wants to run, if we have like a recreational runner, uh, some will like, there's this thought of self-optimization. Like someone will naturally just try and adopt a running style that's particularly um, efficient or economical for them, based on you know their um, dimensions, based on their like weight, based on their stiffness or strength, and that kind of thing. Do you have the same kind of understanding or the same uh, reasoning with that method, or do you think differently?
1: Uh, yeah, I think um self-optimization also occurs through uh, having greater exposure uh, and kind of accumulating that that exposure so uh, i think there are some that will be far better at getting closer to it and um producing a gate that lowers the amount of oxygen they need um but we know that there's a really good study by DeRuto and colleagues which has shown that uh, trained runners versus untrained runners, uh, the trained runners have were much closer to their optimal cadence and so that's the cadence that has the lowest oxygen cost um, compared to the untrained runners who are about eight percent away from using the cadence that they potentially should use to lower their oxygen cost. So I think there's a Uh, an exposure element to that optimization. But I I do think, um, you know, we're never gonna be bang on optimal. Uh, We we run, you know, we pick up injuries. And so over time that optimal may shift. So what is optimal when we're younger may not be the same when we're older, when strength we know declines, greater injuries stack up uh, in our history. So it's probably a constant uh, change going on, um, and some people may be better listeners of of their body and their effort levels uh, than others to to achieve that optimum
0: wow, and eight percent away from the optimal is quite a lot, and I know that based on research like you have to adjust maybe five to ten percent anywhere between there to see a real change and I guess from like a question from like what a recreational runner would uh, look for or ask and a lot of the audience that I do have are recreational runners. So um, it might be my job within this interview to try and clarify a few of the the terms that we do use and a bit of the jargon that's, that's thrown out there. But um, if a recreational runner wants to increase their performance, which I th- I'm assuming like a lot of runners out there will fit a lot of runners out there. Um, mm-hmm. myself included should we be consciously trying to change or correct our technique or should we constantly try and find something to improve on with our technique or are we just wanting just to get more exposure and then you know ideally over time self-optimize
1: yeah that's um that, you know i have no research to kind of lean on that would point in either direction it's more i guess I think some people take to changing their running style a lot better than other people. Um, and I don't think, you know, changing your running style will ever match the, the kind of benefits of just doing lots and lots of running um, and doing a, a really good uh, running training program. I think it's a way of, if you're misusing it as a fine tuning, um kind of mechanism. So I would probably go along with the lines of yeah, you know, getting into running first, following your, your running training program. And then once you're you're in the rhythm of doing that, then uh, you potentially look the uh, uh, there's a, a nice simple way of trying to calculate what your optimal cadence may be based on your heart rate um we've we've put a spreadsheet together that can help with that um so it's probably once you're kind of into running a little bit you you're kind of in your rhythm with your training you could then kind of look to okay yeah i know what my rhythm of running is my cadence now may be a good time to just check in to see if it's uh as good as it could be um some people will just never be able to change you know their running style um, as effectively as just doing more training is for them. Um, So there is a kind of personal preference that I think some of it comes down to. Yeah.
0: I should probably clarify, like when we're talking about cadence, we're talking about the amount of steps someone takes per minute and someone can be turning their legs over really, really quickly. Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Taking faster, shorter steps without necessarily changing their running speed. And um, before we started recording, you are talking about like treadmill's are very, uh, a very good way of doing that. Based on what we we've just discussed so far it almost seems like we can almost um assess that answer based on like an individual like if an individual seems to be outside their optimal rate then we might want to change their cadence just to see if they can if they're one of those types of runners that are like in tuned and can um or has like a lot of body awareness that they can make those changes and see if they feel better. And then if they do um, maybe try and set them or maybe fine tune that that's going to be a more ideal cadence for them. Whereas there might be others where you try and change their their cadence to a more optimal and they particularly struggle with like that's kind of that adjustment. And you might say for them, okay, maybe we just need, um, a bit more experience, a bit more exposure, you know, become a bit more maybe coordinated or um, just slowly allow your body just to um, naturally take on the, that more economical state. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah. You know, we, we re- recently just put a book chapter together, which essentially recommends uh, an individual assessment, like you've just said, above trying to look through the literature and go, oh, well, here's the perfect running form. The, these elite uh, Kenyan distant runners seem to run like this, and I should do the same. Um, we we recommend kind of stepping away from that and, and doing, as you say, it's, it's on an individual level and what works for that individual athlete. Um, and what works for one person isn't necessarily the answer for another person and it, ultimately there is yeah we're we're definitely not in a place where we can say there is a perfect running form uh, in terms of performance uh, for for distance running and I don't think that we'll ever find that because people vary so much we know that even just between males and females it, there are differences and Uh, unfortunately a lot of people don't um, separate the data between males and females so we actually know very little about female distance running gait uh, in comparison to to male running gait uh, let alone trying to generalize across the whole of males and and the whole of females so definitely the advice for now is to to focus on what works for you uh, and an individual assessment rather than just going off what what you've heard is a perfect running form.
0: Yeah. And I think that makes sense based on like how different people run and how different people are like with their body shapes and their strength and uh, what sort of running goals they have. And we've kind of established that there is no perfect running form, but on the other side, is there a running trait or running style that you might see in clinic? Someone running on a treadmill, That displays a certain characteristic. Is there, is there kind of like a trait that you might identify, and say straight away, oh, we might need to change that. Is there any like, um, you know, kind of like danger traits where you are like, no, no, we we need to change this. This needs to be a high priority.
1: Not, not really. If uh, kind of again, I've I've, yeah, I've done. done, like I say, a lot of recreational athletes, um, when, I, when I've assessed their gait, they are always keen to go, oh, so what do I need to, to be able to run faster, run for longer? Um, and I always see the biomechanics more as, as kind of fine-tuning because it it takes a lot to be able to change your running gait. It's not a quick fix um, and takes a lot of motivation on a runner. You know, it's easier to change your shoes, which I think is why their footwear gets a lot of uh publicity and um uh, it gets good good marketing because it's a quick they people see it as a potentially a quick fix whereas changing your running gait isn't um but i guess if they they seem to be having like very long um strides that that could be something you can manipulate relatively quickly in people with a metronome so if they're running on a treadmill Um, You can just set a metronome app on your phone uh, and just get them to run in time with a beat. And if you quicken that beat up, most people can comfortably alter their cadence to a certain level. Um, And you could just see what's their perceived effort while they're doing that. What's their heart rate like while they're doing that um, to see if there are large effects potentially going on with oxygen costs because we can use heart rate to some degree as a, as a bit of a surrogate measure for oxygen cost uh, if you're doing kind of steady state uh, endurance running so, so that the the cadence i guess is a, is a nice quick one and when you manipulate cadence you do manipulate quite a few things uh, in terms of your expect to see some different um, different ways that they'll hit the ground with their leg because you shorten their cadence they're probably not going to be reaching out in front of them as much Um, so that might help lower the the impact forces they experience Uh, it can also often lower the the knee uh, forces that that they experience so for a lot of runners uh, with the knee being the most commonly injured uh, or certainly body site with the most pain in runners that that could be a both maybe a performance and potentially um, gait retraining method for rehabilitation kind of pain purposes as well.
0: Yeah. And I, I think when it comes to the performance side of things, if someone isn't, if it's going all over their head when we're talking about cadence, I do have a cadence episode, like it's within the first 10 episodes of the podcast. So they can go back and review that before coming back and listening to this. But, um, this is where it ties in really nicely because we're talking about performance, like any runner or most runners want to help increase performance. And the way you can do that for a distance runner is to improve your running economy. So that's, you know, traveling at the same speed, but not using as much oxygen. And one of the ways you can measure that is measuring through your heart rate and can be a very accurate description of whether you're working, um, whether you're working optimal or whether you're working harder, if you do change a few things and what you're saying is you can change your cadence up, up 5% or 10% and then readjusting just to see if there's any change in your heart rate. And if it starts to lower your heart rate, then you might be getting closer to an optimal running cadence, which (laughs) leads to a more economical run which means you're not using as much oxygen which means you can perform better if you're traveling at that that cadence so I, I guess that's where it works really nicely and this is where your excel spreadsheet that you're talking about is really handy because you can plug in those variables and then once you know those two pieces of data the heart rate and the cadence and correlating the two you can um, tell a lot from you know where your ideal cadence might lie and your ideal performance. So that's really nice. That ties in really, really well. Then we'll um, sort of just touched on like uh, recovery or if you are injured, what we can do. Um, So let's dive into that a little bit more with like injury specific kind of stuff. Once you are injured and what, what can we tell about like gait retraining in order to help our recovery?
1: So yeah, there's, there's been a kind of almost explosion of of gate retraining uh, studies, uh, most of which are focused on rehabilitation rather than prevention. Um, and so they focused on injuries such as tibial stress fractures, uh, patellofemoral pain, and iliotibial band syndrome. Uh, and there's been some very nice um, studies conducted uh, by a medic- Uh, A main group of American researchers, which have shown it to be fairly effective at reducing pain. So whether that be through the knee pain or ITB pain, um, and that can happen just within a couple of weeks of between six to eight sessions of gait retraining. And that running uh, kind of newly adopted running style through that gait retraining program seems to persist for one month and three months. Uh, after so it it looks like a potentially effective avenue but again effective for some people uh, and not as effective as others so we do see group level changes but within that there'll be variation uh, in terms of the style that people are able to produce and also the pain reduction that they're able to feel.
0: And if we're using these gate retraining cues uh, are we as runners are we decreasing the load through the body or are we just like redistributing it to other muscles and other joints
1: uh, potentially a little bit of both but uh, definitely redistribution so for example if we're changing Um, how someone hits the ground with their foot. So you can go from a rear foot striker to a forefoot striker. We know that rear foot strikers uh, place a lot more load through the knee. Um, Whereas if you hit with a forefoot or the toes hit the ground first, uh, that puts a lot more load through the ankles. So for patellofemoral pain, for example, uh, there has been a study where they've, they've looked to change um, their gait to a four-foot strike, and that's helped reduce the pain. But as a consequence, you do—they did um, report some calf um, discomfort in the first you know, few sessions or week or so uh, because of that. Your your tissues aren't used to that load um, to the same degree. So often, I think, uh, particularly with the clinicians I speak to. They wouldn't just do gait training. so if they know that they're going to be loading the ankle or the calf a lot more they would also look to incorporate uh, some exercises focusing on on the calf uh, tendon um, unit to help uh, the tissues accommodate that load
0: and when you're talking about because you did mention really nicely that the increase in cadence has been shown to reduce loads in the knee joint which can help things like knee pain um, because it might reduce like an overstride is it the same cue that's used for like you're saying itb syndrome or stress fractures is that the the main gait retraining cue that they're using
1: uh so yes um but also for tibial stress fractures they they also look at the tibia acceleration so they they put what an accelerometer on the tibia and you can essentially use it to, uh, as a surrogate measure of the impact going through the tibia um, and then they they use real-time feedback uh, to ask people to lower their tibia acceleration but we know that certainly again this is a, these are studies that have only been done on males we male runners if we reduce their stride length and so therefore increase their cadence. Their tibial acceleration is lowered. So cadence, cadence, cadence manipulations do a lot of things and so potentially could be useful for tibial stress fractures, patellofemoral pain. Um, for ITB syndrome, uh, it has the potential to go a little way in helping it, but they tend to focus a lot more on trying to get your knees pointing forwards because you tend to see with individuals with ITB syndrome maybe a lot of uh, hip abduction so that their leg is kind of being drawn to the midline of their body Uh, so what the gait training tries to do is is create a bit of separation between the knees as they're running um, to try and get their, their lower limb nice and almost straight underneath the pelvis rather than coming across to the midline of the
0: body. Yeah, and Tom Goon talks about that really nicely. He talks about the the knee window and if the, the knees are kind of brushing together, particularly in female runners, um, trying to, I guess, widen that window, open that window to make sure the knees aren't touching each other. And as a result, the knees are facing a little bit more forward and there's not as much strain on the ITB, which... Yeah, I, I found it has been a really nice cue for me personally um, when I'm working with runners. So going back to the, the stress fracture, when you're talking about the, the tibial acceleration, the, the actual change that you are creating is uh, increasing running cadence. But what you're saying is the effect is different because we're not really necessarily, we're not changing the overstride. We're more um, addressing how quickly the, the shin is accelerating through space. Is that right?
1: Yeah, so the, the main risk factor is perceived to be the tibial acceleration. Gotcha. Uh, and um, one way of changing that is through cadence, but also uh, people probably do adopt a, a kind of flatter foot contact. So rather than going for, again, that out and out heel, rear foot strike, uh, with the cues that they do, um, and with if they use cadence. The foot will potentially come a bit flatter, um, and and that might help decrease the, the acceleration of the tibia uh, as yeah. it as your leg collides with the ground.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And so, if we're redistributing, if we're making these changes and we're distributing the the loads more to other areas of the body, um, I think that's where having like a, a tailored approach or having like a health professional incorporate their opinion because we don't necessarily want the the load being redistributed to an area that can't take that load because then we're leading to other issues and for an example like if we're um adopting someone who is it was a heel strike we're adopting more of a flat foot or a four foot contact a lot more of the load is going through the achilles or the the plantar fascia or the ankle and foot and could potentially lead to things like calf strains or Achilles um, tendinopathies or like heaven forbid, like a a stress fracture. Um, Would you agree with that? Would you say that like making these slight adjustments, um, we want to make sure that the other joints are able to handle that load and therefore incorporating these um, gait retraining tips with a, a performance or like with a strength and conditioning program to say is um, warranted.
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's probably a, a nice, safe way to try and look to change your running style. And I'd also say that you don't want to go right. I I usually run, um, you know, do my my five k run. I'm just going to do my five k run, manipulate my cadence for the whole time. Um, we'd all we'd suggest gradually building it in. So, you know, for a minute, I'm going to focus on, on this gait retraining strategy. So I'm going to increase my cadence for a minute and I'll go back and slow it down for another minute. And so you're kind of increasing your exposure to that different loading pattern over time. So you, I know a lot of runners don't like the, the thought of decreasing how much they're running or, or how far they're running. Um, so if you don't want to change that, Part of your running program, you just want to change your gait. You, you definitely want to do it in a in a structured, graduated exposure way, and supplementing that with um, some exercises that that focus on different body areas, uh, like say from a strength conditioning perspective, um, would also be a, a, an effective way to. What you don't want to do is obviously get injured because you've changed your running style. Um, so you don 't want to be doing it too quickly, um, and with your body uh, not able to tolerate those different loads
0: that 's a very good point and it 's almost like the from what we know about like how the body adapts, we want to make sure there 's not like a, a spike in load. We want to make sure that the body is adapting like we 're not exposing the body like to greater loads that exceeds uh, adaptation capacity. Almost similar to how someone might want to transition to uh, a lesser, lighter shoe to increase performance. We want to make sure that that transition is very gradual. And when you're referring to gait retraining or increasing your cadence, that kind of stuff, it makes sense that we can, you know, increase it in slow bouts and slowly increasing your exposure to that new cadence. And that way, if it's gradual enough, the body will adapt and become more accustomed, and then it reduces the risk of any spikes in load because the body's getting stronger along the way. Is that kind of what you were um, referring to?
1: Yeah, and I think um, it's almost this principle of variability and varying that load. So um, you use the example of footwear. There's, there's a really nice study which showed that people who had, ran um, and alternated between two pairs of of running shoes during their running program um, seem to have a lower injury risk than those who just ran in the same pair constantly. Um, so it kind of suggests that producing different loads going through the body um, is, is a good approach because of your body becomes more uh, accustomed to the variability and perhaps has a greater tolerance for a wider range of loads. Um, and I think you can do that through changing your footwear, you know, changing the surface, the gradient, uh, and so on that you run. But you can also do that through manipulating your running gait. And these are all just ways of, of varying that load. And I think um, it's about kind of making, uh, like I say, changing that tissue tolerance uh, and making, I guess, more of a robust runner who can accommodate those those changes that they may face, um, you know, running on the road and having to then run on the grass and so on, and that not being detrimental to their to their body.
0: Very good point, and I like how you say "robust runner" because I like to say that like an injury will arise almost at your weakest link, depending on your um, training history and your running style, that kind of thing. And if you are subjecting your body to this variability, what you're doing is you're um, almost identifying the weak links and almost building up all the weak links that you might have because you might become accustomed to a certain running speed, a certain type of shoe that you run in, a certain terrain that you're used to. But then as soon as you deviate from that norm, that's when your weak links are exposed. But if you're continuously trying to um, keep the body guessing and adjusting and having a high variability in your training, then you're building up that resiliency and you're becoming a more ro- robust runner and exposing yourself to that wide range. Um, that That's really cool. And it's really cool that you can use different running techniques as well as shoes, as well as strength training, as well as changing your terrain, as well as um, introducing hills and all that kind of thing in order to uh, tick off like all these, uh, addressing all these weak links. That's a really nice way of putting it.
1: Yeah, it's just, it's like having, it's another tool in your toolkit. So, you know, for example, whenever I run you know, downhill, um, I probably go to the extreme of shortening my stride length because, and, and therefore quickening my cadence to almost uh, know that my knee is my, my knees are my weak link. So, um, there are times when it's useful to uh, expose them and there's times when actually maybe I can do my best to to protect them to some degree to not overexpose them um, so it's definitely you know all of these things are good to have in that toolkit and some will find running on different surfaces they really enjoy some will find going and getting nice shiny different shoes is something that they really enjoy and others will just being like to change their, and adapt their running gait. So it can can really be individualized for, for the runners, um, not just in terms of how you change your gait, but also whether you would use gait retraining to do that or you'd use the surface or footwear to do that.
0: Yeah, it's the benefits of having your insight <laughs> and your understanding and awareness around adjusting your, your um, running. And like you said, just having a lot of tools in your toolkit Uh, I wanted to explore the injury prevention side of things. So we've, we've touched on performance and we've kind of touched on injury really nicely and recovery when we're talking about performance, this could, uh, when we talk about prevention, this could be a a really um, easy answer for you because when I was talking to Chris Brammer on a couple of weeks ago and I'm, talked about this is there any like running style or anything that we can adopt to reduce risk of injury uh he kind of alluded to overstriding being one and there's sort of emerging evidence around uh, a contralateral hip drop or that hip adduction so those knees getting closer together with his answer um would you agree or would you have anything to add or would you disagree Uh,
1: there's certainly i think preventions a lot it's a lot harder to study uh in terms of just the sheer numbers that y- you need and so the research is yeah, as, as chris kind of mentioned is emerging it's certainly not as much uh, that w- that we know in comparison to doing it from a rehabilitation standpoint and just trying to reduce pain um uh, so the cadence again uh, Always get gets a nod, um, although I'm not particularly aware of kind of studies that have done a prevention-based study on it. Um, I know that there's one recently that looked at um, reducing loading rates. So that's kind of how quickly you develop force in the impact phase. Um, it's uh, a kind of uh, the 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 mindset of um, Professor Irene Davies in America. She's um, very keen on kind of forefoot running and and reducing your loading rate. Um, And they actually found that implementing that in uh, untrained runners, kind of at the beginning of a running program, reduced their injury rate for the next 12 months. Um, It's the only study that's kind of done that approach of changing gait and seeing whether it will prevent injuries. Um, but again, that study comes with the caveats that uh, it decreased the occurrence of patellofemoral pain, but um, there was a slight increase in occurrence of Achilles tendinopathy when you look at the kind of breakdown of injuries, So, um, which you would expect when you try and reduce your loading rate, because what typically happens is you run more on your toes um, and with a, a slightly shorter um, Stride length and faster cadence. So there's there's always caveats to this kind of research. That uh, overall it might be effective for injury rates, but when you delve deeper into the specific injuries, uh, it's not all injury. There will be no running style that can kind of in decrease all injuries because the load has to go somewhere. Um, that's just the nature of running. There is always a load, and it's just where you where you try and distribute it.
0: The load has to go somewhere. I've just wrote that down. Good. Because it really illustrates uh, this whole topic and having such insight and having such understanding about your body and how strong your body actually is. um, You might be making certain adjustments that addresses all your strong points, but in the opposite way, like you might just be making changes that you think is for the better, but you're actually um, exposing more load to a weaker point or some or to a, a part of the body, which the load can't handle. And it's, it's tough that the, the prevention side of things is so hard to study and hard to come up with a conclusion because it's the, it's a question all the recreational runners are after. They're just like, what can I do to reduce my risk of injury? Cause all the runners, they hate being injured, but uh, unfortunately it's not as easy to come up with an answer. Um, so, I guess what the, to summarize the, the prevention side of things is there are ways that we can apply, uh, some different running techniques to an individual, but, uh, in order to prevent injury, but it's just that tailored advice, um, based on like sound science and sound advice is, it might be required, but it's just finding that tailored advice for the individual is where we might, um, have the problem.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's certainly an area that, that needs more research in it, but, um, and it's kind of, uh, it's why I focus on the, the rehabilitation side of things. Um, I'm, I'm much more comfortable saying, okay, you've, you've got pain or let, uh, from my biomechanical knowledge and my anatomical knowledge, this might be a useful strategy. Uh, but it's so hard to predict if someone will get an, inju- get an injury that I kind of almost shy away from changing gait too much if they don't have an injury um, because, you know, maybe at least based on how they're running and what they're doing currently, they're okay. Um, and there's always that possibility. Some people go, oh, i have going to change my gait now and I'm just going to keep running the same amount. Um, and they'll get injured as a result of that. So it's always a bit of a tricky one, um, but definitely the kind of in individual approach and trying to take in as much as possible by knowing their running history, their training programme, um, and supplementing that with appropriate exercises or with the gait changes, understanding their footwear, understanding what terrain they run on. You kind of need all of these factors, I think, to to really start grappling with what is the best thing to target for prevention because it may be that their running style isn't the thing that you need to target it's just their training program or just getting them onto a different surface rather than tweaking their gait so it's not this doesn't always need to be the answer to change their running style
0: yeah and I'm glad you said that because it's all about becoming a smart runner and making smarter training decisions and having more awareness around if you do make slight changes what effect that has on the body and if there's kind of two main themes to take away from this it was it's kind of to um, build on your knowledge around what certain effects have and what certain changes have and making those smarter decisions there's that side of things and then the other take-home message that I really like is what you're talking about with variability and making sure you have a wide range of or like you're exposing yourself to a wide range of different forces and different surfaces and different environments in order to become a robust runner and a more resilient runner. Um, As we wrap up here, is there any other take home messages that we haven't necessarily discussed that you want um, the recreational runner or the audience to take away? Uh, I guess, you know, one
1: thing, if if you do, Try and look into gate retraining. Um, don't don't think you need to come up with very fancy <clears throat> fancy cues uh, to to do that. You know, often just telling someone we want you to run four foot, we want you to increase your cadence, uh, and just being very explicit with a, a kind of clear instruction. You know, our research has shown that that's more effective. I think some people try and you know come up with very bizarre analogies and cues that people don't really know how to interpret. So keep it simple uh, would be my advice.
0: Great. And as a runner, if you are looking to try and adjust your cadence, one of my um, tips would just to be like we were talking about before, just running on a treadmill, because if you haven't worked on increasing your cadence before in the past, a lot of people just naturally speed up and then they're getting out of breath and you know, they're not too sure what's going on, but the treadmill Uh, is a way that to know that you're traveling at the same speed. And then if you're adjusting your cadence or maybe um, just like a metronome, just having a beat and just stepping to that rhythm um, can be a really nice environment to try and train or change up your cadence to see how you feel. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Certainly if you're not not used to changing cadence or knowing the kind of speed you know inherently that you're running at treadmills are a really effective way of manipulating cadence uh, it's what we always use in research so that we don't have so we can control the speed and as many things as possible so it's definitely the place i'd start
0: yeah very cool um dr izzy moore if people are loving what you're saying and want to learn more about you. Is there anywhere else they can go to um, reach out or just see what you're publishing or what you're posting, any social media, anything else, if people want to follow you?
1: Yep, I'm on Twitter. It's the only, any social media I have. So um, I'm Izzy Moore PhD on uh, Twitter.
0: Fantastic. I'll add that in the show notes. Um, We'll finish up there. Uh, uh, This has been extremely fascinating for me and I'm sure the audience would agree. Thanks for taking your time to, to come on and share your knowledge and a big thanks to you so much for like all you do for the running research and um, people like me who want to know wh- where the research is leading. And I do deep dives into like publications all the time and your name constantly pops up. So um, personally I want to say a big thanks to all the work that you've been doing.
1: Oh, thank you very much uh, thanks for the invite to, to speak it's always nice to actually disseminate our research in things other than papers um, mm-hmm. so thanks for really interesting questions and discussion it's been great
0: thanks for listening to another episode of the run smarter podcast i hope you can see the impact this content has on your future running if you appreciate the mission this podcast is creating it would mean a lot to me if you submit a rating and review If you want to continue expanding your knowledge, please subscribe to the podcast and get instant notifications when a new episode comes out. If you want to learn quicker, then join our Facebook group by searching the podcast title. If you want to take your learning to the next step, including injury prevention principles, injury-specific insights, and modules to boost your running performance, then head to our website by searching runsmarter.online and jump into our Run Smarter Online course. Once again, thank you for listening and becoming a Run Smarter Scholar. And remember, knowledge is power.